If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 7. And I want to ask you a question as we start. Do you know how Jesus evaluates your appreciation of his forgiveness of your sin? Well, let me put it another way. Do you know that Jesus evaluates our appreciation of his forgiveness of our sins by our actions? Jesus evaluates how much we appreciate his death for us by what we do. How thankful then are you, if you are a believer, for the fact that God, because of your faith in Christ, has forgiven all your sins? How thankful are you? Now, this question, of course, implies or assumes one of two positions or experiences. Either you are a Christian because you have placed faith in Christ and your sins have been forgiven, or you are not. You're not a Christian and your sins are not forgiven. That's the implication of these questions. So really, we are talking to both those who place faith in Christ today, as well as those who have not. And the passage in Luke 7 that we're going to be looking at today addresses both situations. And Jesus provides, Jesus himself provides instructions for us as to how we should behave in either case, as a believer or an unbeliever, how we should respond to him and his death on the cross of Calvary. For the Christian then, first, how thankful are you? And this is a time of introspection. All right, their album is dedicated to introspection. This is a time for introspection this morning. How thankful are you for the fact that God, because of your faith in Christ, has forgiven you all of your sins? Now think about that for a moment, believer. Now you might say, I am very thankful. That's great. That's terrific. Have an answer like that. I am very thankful that I've been forgiven of my sins. But let me ask you another question. How do you show or demonstrate the fact that you are very thankful? You say that you are very thankful. Very, very, very thankful. Extremely thankful. And I believe you are. But how do you demonstrate it? In other words, what I'm asking you is, how do you show the degree or the level of your awareness of what you have been forgiven for? How do you show the degree or the level of your appreciation for what God has delivered you from through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection? Now, you might ask me a question. Do I really need to do this? Do I really need to show the degree of my thankfulness to God? That's the very question that Jesus addresses in this passage. And based on this passage, I believe you will see that this is, in fact, the, very, the case. God evaluates the degree of our appreciation for his forgiveness by the degree, the intensity, and motivation of our actions. Our actions mean a lot to God and to Jesus Christ. 
You remember, he healed 10 lepers. Remember that? One came back. Did Jesus get down? Boy, I'm so glad you're thankful. I'm certain. What did he say? Where are the others? How do you show your thankfulness, your gratitude to God for what Jesus Christ has done for you? Look at this passage in Luke chapter 7. Let's go through it quickly as a, we do a running commentary of this passage. Verse 36. If you don't have a Bible, please hold on with someone. Hold on to them if you have to. uh, I want you to see the text as we go through the scriptures. You're not here just to hear me talk about the word. You're here to see and to hear the word itself. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Notice. It does not say Jesus sat at the table. Jesus reclined at the table. He didn't sit at the table in those days. Now today, if we reclined at the table, they probably throw us out. But that's how they ate in those days. And that's an important point to see and to understand what is happening in this chapter, in this passage. They reclined. They used to lay down on one side, facing the, the table in the middle, and facing the host most of the time with their feet extending outwardly. That's the setting then, first, for this passage, this teaching of Jesus today. It's a dinner at which Jesus is the invited guest. Now, don't lose sight of that fact. He is the invited guest. That's the setting at a dinner. That means more than he and the host was there. Just by the implication of this, other people was around as well. The passage goes on to describe... The subjects of this dinner. The setting and the subjects. And these subjects, these individuals who were there, they add drama and significance to the setting because of the contrast of character. They add add drama and excitement and significance because of the contrast of the characters there. First is the host. The scripture says he was a Pharisee. Who was a Pharisee? He was one of the religious elite. He was one of the guys like me who come all dressed up in coat and tie and walk around in robes and all of that, trying to get the prestige, trying to get all of the, the claps from the religious people. That's a Pharisee. We've got a lot of them around. This was the irreligious elite. Now, from the biblical records, we know that Jesus himself describes these Pharisees as being self-righteous, hypocritical, people who have changed the, the traditions of God for the traditions of man. We know that the Pharisees were opposed to the ministry of Jesus Christ, heatedly opposed. He was getting all the applause. He was getting the limelight. They hated him because of this. Now the reason for the Pharisee inviting Jesus to dinner is not stated. And they're here. Now I'm tempted to, you know, to be a real preacher and go and say it's because of this, it's because of that. But it'll only be guesses. 
and to guess about what the scripture teaches is useless because you're not here to hear what I have to guess about the word of God you're here to hear what the word of God says now I could really pretty this up give you all kind of reasons well Jesus get in the limelight if I have Jesus here maybe I'll get in the limelight but I'm not going to do that the point is Jesus accepted the invitation see don't miss sight of that why would Jesus accept an invitation from someone like this Jesus was the specially invited guest here are two religious enemies if you want facing each other Jesus publicly condemned them for the legalism the hypocrisy and everything else but Jesus still accepted the invitation to have dinner with a person that he knew was a sinner many of us wouldn't do that many of us would look at a person and although we are thankful for being forgiven and although we might have an invitation to share the gospel with this individual we just don't like the way he looks so I'm not going to go there But not Jesus. You see, one of the purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to seek the sinner, not to run away from him. But it isn't amazing how many Christians run away from sinners because they don't like what they do. You ever heard of such a ridiculous thing? That's the very reason why you should talk to them. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. But Christians today who are rejoicing in the fact that they are forgiven are running away from the very people that they were before they were forgiven. And they're doing it because I am a respectable person. I only got to associate with you if you look like me, you dress like me, you my same color and all of that. Jesus condemns that as hypocrisy. So in spite of this man being who Jesus knew he was, we knew that Jesus loved them. We knew that Jesus loved this Pharisee and he wanted them to be saved. And so he was not hesitant to accept an invitation to eat with them, to go to his party. Now, don't miss the implication of this dramatic setting, folk. The Pharisee did not mind associating with Jesus and Jesus didn't mind associating with him at this point. Why? Probably because each one saw the other as a sinner. Jesus saw the Pharisee as a sinner. And you know something? The Pharisee saw Jesus as a sinner. So what do you have? Don't miss this. This is a dramatic thing. Two sinners seeking out each other but for different purposes. I believe that this Pharisee here has to be looked at in the same view, in the same, from the same perspective we look at Nicodemus. 
He was a Pharisee too. What did he do? He came to Jesus by night because he was attracted to the teaching of this man. This Pharisee here, he didn't come in the dark. He had a public dinner. He wanted to learn more about Jesus, although he said, and you've seen this passage, he must be a sinner. He's not a prophet because he can't understand something about this woman. But this is a strange thing going on here. Fascinating. But then there was a third uninvited guest at the dinner. Notice how she's described. She's described as a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town. Please read the scriptures carefully. She was a sinner and everyone knew it. The Pharisee thought Jesus was a sinner. Jesus knew the Pharisee was a sinner. But everybody in town knew this woman was a sinner. She had a reputation in this town. And notice the past tense is used. She was a sinner. This is the idea that she was a sinner doing certain actions or behavior. But that is past now. That's the indication here. And we'll see that as we get in it. In other words, she's not living that lifestyle any longer. Although she's still living in the town. Some people have to leave town because of the lifestyle they got. Some people should leave town. Anyway, uh, she was a known sinner, but she changed. Now, this text is going to tell us why she changed. Remember, the Pharisees avoided all contact with sinners. Isn't that right? You remember, if they wanted to go from Jerusalem to that place called Samaria, which was a straight, they had a highway going there. You could get on that highway and you could drive nonstop. But boy, the people living in Samaria, they were sinners. So what do the Pharisees do? They would go off a bush road. No track road. Or cross the river, go all over here, go all kinds of things just to get past these sinners. All you're laughing. Some of you are just like that. In dealing with people who you know are sinners and you wouldn't talk to, would you a Christian? I was telling friends the other day, and it still amazes me. I was talking to a friend about doing something, and we needed certain expertise. And I said, I know a fellow who could help us here. Let's get him with us. He said, who is it? And I gave him a name. He said, what? So, yeah, he's a Christian, and he's, he's good he said, I knew this guy for 20 years. And I know he's a Christian. Now don't laugh. How many people in your office know that you're a Christian by the way you live? Not necessarily by the way you say. In fact, watch out what you say if you're not living your life. Otherwise, your witness for Jesus Christ would be a bad one rather than a good one. But as far as the Pharisee is concerned, if there's one person who shouldn't be at this party, it was this sinner. 
This is for the elite, the religious elite. And Jesus was getting to make a, have a name for himself. This is for the high brows of the community. We still have people like that today. They'll invite their own friends with their own little cliques. Although they know they have other friends that they associate on another level. But boy, not at my dinner. Why? He'd be able to place their man. He just doesn't fit in. So those are the guests. One invited, one invited. And everybody thinking about who's a sinner and who isn't. Now, now let's look at the situation that prompted the lesson. Let's go to verse 37. Let me read it. Let's look at the action of the woman. She is unnamed. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfumed perfume on them. Friends, this is an amazing, dramatic, emotional setting here. Here you're looking at the actions of a woman who is expressing herself as best she could out of utter devotion to this man. Here is a woman. She's a maverick. She don't care what anybody else thinks. She's going to do what she believes is right. And it causes quite a stir. Just as Mary did. And Bethany when she did almost similar. I don't believe these are the two stories. Because with Mary she anointed the head of Jesus Christ. This woman anointed the feet. And she broke the neck of the alabaster box. Nothing is mentioned of that here at all. So I think these are two different stories altogether. Two different times in Jesus' life. But this is quite an event. And it caused quite a stir at the party. For a woman to do this is quite a thing at that time. But to be an uninvited woman is something else. Not only that, to be an uninvited sinner woman. That's really something. But the text is clear. Jesus is enjoying it. This ain't getting Jesus uptight all this lot. He ain't uptight. He is enjoying this. We'll see that. And I believe that is true, you know. Jesus enjoys when a hypocrite is getting his due or her due. That's true. Do you know that Jesus condemned and criticized religious people more than he did the known and confessing sinners? Do you know that? That's right. In other words, if Jesus were to come to town today, he would take us to task more than he would to the people in the drug houses or the prostitute houses. That's right. But we've forgotten that, haven't we? This lesson brings us back to reality here. Notice now. Notice a few things about this incident. First of all, it was unexpected. That's to say, I mean, that goes without saying. This was not a planned event, either by Jesus or the Pharisee. But it was planned by the woman. She heard that Jesus was passing by. And she would not let this opportunity pass her by. To do something for him because of what he had done for her. See, it appears to me that this woman 
was transformed, was touched by Jesus just during a part of his regular ministry. And then he left town. And now this woman heard that he was coming. He was passing by again. And she is going to buy up the opportunity. She is not going to let this moment pass because of what this man had done for her. But this is not only an unexpected event. It was also sacrificial on the part of the woman. In the story concerning Mary, we are told that this alabaster uh, jar of perfume cost at least a year's salary. One year's salary. This woman took all that she had, got this alabaster box of perfume, and she brings it to anoint Jesus with. This woman did not hesitate to do something that was both costly and extravagant and out of the way for Jesus Christ. Some of us wouldn't even raise our hand for Jesus Christ. Some of us wouldn't even clap for Jesus Christ. Why? Because other people are watching us. Now, deep inside, boy, I want to do it. I really want it. That's how much you really appreciate being forgiven of your sins by Jesus Christ. Not this woman. This woman didn't care. She wanted to demonstrate her thankfulness to Jesus Christ for setting her free from her sin. That's why, thirdly, it was worshipful. She was at his feet. Beloved, true worship always starts at the feet of Jesus Christ. You cannot get to worship if you bypass Calvary. Impossible. It starts at Calvary. And there is where you see how the love of Christ is demonstrated for you. When he who knew no sin was made a sin atonement for you. Why do you love? Because I'm a good person. No, no, no. The only way we can love is if we have experienced the love of God. We love him because he has first loved us. Everything else is not love. It's got to be motivated by our love for God. Because of his love for us. Then his love is shared abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Spirit. That's what we see here. This is a true act of worship. Notice this. Not only was it extravagant, but it was costly. Here, money. Even a pride. It cost her a pride. True worship in our Bahamian setting probably will cost our pride more than anything else. Many of us are real free with giving money. Yeah. Let's help the missionaries. Yes, let's help the Pope. Give money, give money. But when it comes to demonstrate how much Jesus really means to me because what he has done. Now I, oh, I want to worship him. I want to shout hallelujah. But man, no.
And so I ask you now, what is it that's hindering you? What's the cost that you are, you are hesitant to pay for worshiping Jesus the way you know you should? But now, let's look at the response of the Pharisees now to this event, this dramatic event, verse 39. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, if he was a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You see, a respectable prophet, preacher, pastor, they don't let no sinners touch them. How sad. And so the Pharisees' attitude toward Jesus is critical and condemning. Why? Because she's allowing, he is allowing a woman to show her appreciation for what he's done. Now why? Was it because the Pharisee wasn't getting the attention? I don't know. So he was saying to himself, Jesus could not be a true prophet. If he was, he would know who this woman was and would have nothing to do with her. He would chase her out. You see, what was he doing? He was imposing upon Jesus his own religious standards as a Pharisee. And that's what we tend to do. We don't see anybody acting as we do. And so we think they're wrong. Why? Because they're not doing what we think should be done. Imposing his own standards upon Jesus Christ. It didn't even dawn on him that Jesus did in fact know who the woman was and he was in fact delighted about what she was doing. And in fact, what he wanted everyone to do, especially the Pharisee. Jesus wanted that Pharisee to be doing exactly what the woman was doing. But that didn't even enter the Pharisee's heart mind. That's why Jesus spoke to him. This is all addressed to the Pharisee, this whole thing. Look at his attitude, the Pharisee's attitude, the woman, toward the woman who, critical and condemning, no regard for her present action, only for her past reputation, doesn't take into consideration that she could have changed. Only what happened in the past. How many of us look at other people like that? Oh, yes, they were sinners. That's who Christ came for, by the way. That's who he came to save. But yet, when I was a sinner, when a drug addict, when a prostitute comes to know Jesus Christ, the Savior, how often, we, especially if they're close to us, they come to church around us, we don't see what they're doing for Christ now, what's happening. We only see what they were. That's the Pharisee. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. In one way, it's good that I came to Calvary when I was so old. Because if you knew me in the younger days, you probably had nothing to do with me. But now in contrast, look at the response of Jesus to this woman. Verse 40. Jesus tells the parable in order to get the attention of the Pharisee who had invited him to the dinner. 
He tells the parable to illustrate a principle because he had read, Jesus knew all men. He, man, he, he had read the thoughts of this Pharisee. He knew what he was thinking. And so he tells the parable. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, Jesus asked, which of them will love him more? You notice the degree? Not who will love him, but who will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose. Now, you've got to read this in the individual. You see, he already got the message. But he's being honest anyway. Because he already got the message. So he says this sort of grudgingly. I suppose the one who had the biggest debt canceled. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. The one who is forgiven the more is the one who loves more. That's what he's saying. Who senses his forgiveness. Now in the parable, God or Jesus is the money lender. He's the banker. The woman is the 500 denarii uh, borrower. One who borrowed the least amount of money. The Pharisee to whom Jesus was talking is the great debtor. The 5,000 denarii debtor. The Pharisee was the one. So what is the spiritual principle? Now don't get it. Don't, don't fail to get this rather. Don't fail to get it. The spiritual principle taught here is this. The greater the forgiveness, the greater the forgiven debt, the greater should be the sense of appreciation for the one who forgives by the one who is forgiven. And so it follows from this that the greater demonstration of love and worship should also come from the one who appreciates his forgiveness the most. Let me read it for you from my notes so you'll get it. The spiritual principle taught here is this. The greater the forgiven debt, the greater should be the sense of appreciation. Sense of appreciation for the one who forgives by the one who was forgiven. And therefore, the greater demonstration of love and worship should follow. He's talking about the degree of appreciation. But now let's look at the response of the woman. This is the practical application now of the parable and the spiritual principle it teaches. This is the application of that. Verse 44. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into this house, your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I ended, had not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. 
talking about a slap in the face of, to your host right here. Why? Because Jesus was dealing with a sinner and Jesus does not pull punches when it comes to sin. Verse 47, therefore I tell you, how many sins have been forgiven? For she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. This is from the lips of Jesus now. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What beautiful words. Have you, have you heard those words in your own heart, your own life? Because you've accepted Christ. The other guests began to say among themselves. Who is this who even forgives sins? You see they've seen him do the miracles. They've seen him teach wonderful things as one in authority. But now he forgives sins. Who is this that even above all of these things forgives sins? So Jesus said to the woman. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What wonderful words. Have you heard them in your own life? Your sins are forgiven. Experience the peace of God. Have you? Your life says whether or not you have. How are you living? And so Jesus reveals several important facts here. First, the Pharisee is guilty of the sin of commission, but he doesn't realize it. He is guilty of sin. Doesn't realize it. There may be some of you who hear like that today. You're a sinner, but you don't know it. And I'll tell you why, perhaps in a moment. But second, the woman is guilty of the sins of commission, but she knew it and acknowledged it. That's the contrast between these two people. One so high, so elite. One so lowly, but yet one recognized it was a sinner for whom Christ came to die. The other didn't. Third, the point being made here is that we are all guilty of sin and in need of forgiveness, but some realize it and some do not. We all need forgiveness. But only thing some of you don't know it, don't realize it. Some of us do. Someone who said, the person who does not do what God requires is just as guilty as the person who does what God forbids. Did you get it? Now, this is the major point of this parable. It speaks of one's sense of guilt. Not the difference or degree of guilt, because all guilt is the same, but rather our sense of our degree of guilt. We are all guilty before God, whether we feel it or not. But that's not the point of the passage. The woman in this story, in this passage, is an individual who realized her lostness. But get this now, she was not any more lost than the Pharisee was. But you see, the Pharisee didn't recognize that. The Pharisee was just as lost as that woman who was a prostitute. But he didn't realize it. 
Now their actions may have been different, the actions of the Pharisee and the actions of the woman, but their state or their condition of guilt was the same. They were both lost and in need of God's forgiveness. Now his sins may have been internal and unobservable. Oh, yeah, they, they got all kind of sins, mind you. Only you know about them. It's in your heart. Everybody doesn't see it. But anyway, that may be his sin. But hers were outward unobservable. But as far as Jesus was concerned, guess what? They're both sinners. And she, he was just as guilty as the woman was. The problem was that the Pharisee did not feel as though he were a sinner. Why? Because he was a child of Abraham. And to them was given the oracles of God. In other words, they, he thought just because he was a faithful Jew, he was right with God. We are the sons of Abraham. We are enslaved to no one. Jesus says you are enslaved to sin. Remember that teaching? The Pharisees, now listen to this carefully. The Pharisees needed to be de-Judaized. In other words, they needed to realize, they're not, let me use our terms today, they're not saved because they are in a Jewish nation. But they are rather saved because faith in Christ. And many Bahamians today need to be de-Christianized. Why? Because they believe just because they live in a Christian country, they're saved. Jesus says, no way. It's not true with the Jews. It's not true with us. But now fourth, look at the woman's act of sacrificial worship. This is an evidence of her forgiveness. Now notice, it's not the cause or the means of her forgiveness. It is the evidence of her forgiveness. Verse 47, therefore Jesus says, I tell you how many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, her devotion to Christ was an evidence of her realization of an appreciation for the great forgiveness she had received from Jesus Christ. The degree of her devotion and love for Christ indicated the degree of her sense of guilt and corresponding forgiveness. In other words, she realized that she was forgiven much and so she loved much and she worshipped much. In verse 48, Jesus assures her that her forgiveness was already granted. She isn't just being saved. Jesus is referring to when, the first, when he first met her. Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. He is saying that for the sake of the Pharisee. So the Pharisee would know that Jesus, this good teacher, had the power to forgive sins of such a woman as this. And he had already done it. He's able to forgive him. He was a clean sinner. But he needed the blood of Christ as well. Many clean sinners need to realize that today. Jesus clarifies the basis for her forgiveness and the result of forgiveness in verse 7. Notice she says in verse 50. In verse 50 
Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Not your deeds, not your actions, but your faith. Her deeds or actions demonstrated that she was saved. Faith is still the basis for salvation and always has been. We cannot buy our way into heaven. No matter how sincere you are, you've got to acknowledge that you are a sinner. You've got to. I don't care how much money you have out of mind, how much education you have, you have to acknowledge that you are a sinner. I don't care which home you came from, I don't care what ancestors you have, you have to acknowledge that you are a sinner. And then place faith in the death of Jesus Christ, he died in your place, and in the glorious resurrection three days later. Now what is the result? The basis for salvation is faith. What is the result? Peace. Go in peace. Oh, friends, listen. It's the most wonderful experience we can have to know that we have peace with God. There's a tranquility of soul that just cannot be explained. You know, even though you might what's the word? Even though you might fail at times, you still know that you've been forgiven because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The peace of God that passes all understanding. And so I say to the Christian then, I ask a question as I close. Does your commitment, does your devotion and loyalty to Christ indicate the degree of your sense of appreciation and love for what he has done for you on the cross? Isn't it amazing how when we first come to Christ, especially if we've been living in what we call the world, like I used to be, when we come to Christ, how full of zeal that we are for Christ? But now when you get old, but not even when you get old, when you don't stay in the Word, when you don't stay true to Christ, it dies away. The fervency is gone. I had a clip here today to show you, but we can. I'll do it a little time of a young man who, when he was a young, very young, somebody shared Christ to him. He was involved in drugs and all kinds of things. And uh, he came to place faith in Christ. And he became so appreciative of Christ, he devoted his entire life to helping other drug addicts. And he's done it. He's doing it, he says, because of the love of Christ that reached out to him. How many of you are showing the degree of your love for the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has worked out in your life because you place faith in him. Your devotion, your sacrifice match the degree of his love. To the unsaved the person, the person who's never placed faith in Christ, I ask you a question. Do you truly understand the great need you have for Christ's forgiveness? Do you understand the great need that you have for Christ's forgiveness? Oh yes, those of us who've had a sinful lifestyle, we know that. But there's some who've grown up in a good home, nice home, religious home, and you're still lost. And you think you're okay. No. If you've never placed faith in Jesus Christ, you are a sinner. And you need the cleansing blood of Christ to be applied to your life. That's a great need. God grant that you realize that today. And then you place faith in Christ and experience the peace, the 
It comes because you've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. How do you demonstrate depreciation of what Christ has done for you? Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Take a few moments of quiet reflection. If God has spoken to you in any way whatsoever, you need to make a decision. Perhaps as a Christian, you realize that your life has not really been a life that demonstrates your appreciation for Christ's death on your behalf. If you need to make a confession or commitment, do that right now, just where you are. If you've never placed faith in Christ and you realize today that you need to be cleansed by the blood of Christ through faith in him, will you do that right now? Simply acknowledge that you're a sinner. That Jesus Christ, God's son, died in your place. He took the penalty for your sin upon himself. And then God raised him from the dead to demonstrate the fact that he had accepted Christ's death on your behalf. Would you just tell him right now that you are trusting in Christ alone as the basis of your salvation. Do that right now as we close. We can have our closing hymn. And if God has spoken to you in any way, I'd be in the front here and I'd like to talk with you and just to pray with you. And perhaps if you need someone to speak with you, we can do that as well. This is the only invitation I would give. So as we sing our closing hymn, we can ask you to stand. And if God has spoken to you and you've made any decision, please come and let us know.